Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're diving right back into our series called The Book of Acts. And um, I'm excited about today's message. I'm excited about just what God's been speaking to us in this incredible book, the book of Acts. We've been looking at the history of the church. And um, before I did, before I do, there's a lot of things like I mentioned before going on in our church. How many of you guys are grateful for our student and worship directors, Damara and Jenna? How many are grateful for them? I don't see them, but they should be back in here very shortly. Um, and so I'm excited for them. They not only do an incredible job with worship up here. I mentioned last week that we had two, we have two pregnant staff members. We have Miss Renee Owens and Jenna Hodge. Both of them are pregnant. And um, that's great news. That's incredible news. And, um, but they have a heart not only for leading us as a congregation in the worship and in God's presence, but also for your students, for your teenagers, junior high and high school students. And they meet on Wednesday nights. And um, Damar is doing something this upcoming week that is really needed for your teenagers. He's talking about sexual purity. That's, that's needed in this generation. And so he's going to be talking about it from God's perspective. Now, listen, if, if you're a teenager, he's not talking about the how-tos, so don't get excited. We're not that kind of youth ministry. But he's going to be talking about God's perspective on purity. And so if you're a parent here and you say, listen, I don't want my kids to go. Okay, great. That's okay. That's okay. You don't feel like they're ready for that. But if you are and you're like, please, God, help me deal with these kids and teach them this, then get them there this Wednesday night. Um, What time is it? Six o'clock at our student ministry building right over there. And so I'm excited about that. Um, So the book of Acts the history of who we are as a church, the history of who we are as a people, God's people. I want to pick up right where we left off. And if you've missed any weeks, you can grab one of, we have a QR card, QR code on a card in our foyer that you can grab on your way out and simply has the book of Acts on. I encourage you, give that to other people to encourage other people with some of those series. Someone that you know is going through a time where they could use hearing from God, give them one of those cards. It's a great way of inviting them to church as well. And we also have this on the screen. You could just take a picture of it. So, but we left off with Paul and Barnabas these great apostles, these great friends, entering into a conflict that caused them to part ways. And they parted ways over this young man, this young disciple named John Mark. Now, well, I'm not gonna go over all of that again. If you missed it last week, please get the message. It was a great message on how to deal with conflict and the good that can come out of conflict. But now Paul is back on his, his journey, back on his mission with a new friend, a man by the name of Silas. And Paul and Silas are traveling and they're preaching the gospel and they've brought along with them Paul's new protege, a young man by the name of Timothy. And so we're going to dive into chapter 16, which is where we left off. But I want you to see a theme that's going to emerge in this chapter. The same way the theme, if you will, of chapter 15 was conflict. There's an overarching theme that I've seen in, in chapter 16 that I want you to grasp. And I think it's really going to be a blessing to you today. Verse 3, Acts 16, verse 3. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey, talking about Timothy. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. So what's happening again is Paul and Silas are going to these churches that Paul and Barnabas planted, and they're encouraging these believers. What are they encouraging them with? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the church in Jerusalem giving a letter to Paul and Barnabas to go to these churches, basically telling them, you do not, if you're a Gentile, you do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. 
Whereas the Jews, that was part of their covenant. They're, so they're going around bringing this good news to all of these Gentiles. Listen to me, you're not under the law like the Jews were under the law. You are under God's grace and under Jesus. That's why, that, that is what saves you. So they're going around and they're preaching these things. And then some unique things start to take place. Verse 6. Now Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia. Because the Holy Spirit, listen to this, don't miss this. Because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. The Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the gospel in Phrygia and Galatia. Now, just so you know, Asia, when, I'm talk, when, when the Bible's talking about Asia, it's not talking about Asia, the continent as we know it. It's talking about what would be modern-day Turkey today. It was inside of the Roman Empire. And so they're going to preach the gospel, bring the good news, and the Bible says that God prevented them from doing it. Wait a minute, God. Isn't this what you called us to do? Isn't this what you want us to do? Isn't this what you took Paul and Barnabas aside? Remember, God, the Holy Spirit called them and said, go preach the gospel to the Gentiles and all of these things. So why would you block us from doing this? Truth is, I don't know all of the details, but the Bible, as this chapter goes on, is going to become more and more clear why God did that. Verse 7. Then coming to the border of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Wait a minute. Again, God? So they go one way and God says, nope, don't go preach there. Okay. So we're going to go north. And then God blocks them and says, no, don't preach there. Why would God do that? How many of you have ever asked yourself that same question? Lord, why? God, why is this happening? God, I'm doing the right thing. Why is this taking place? Or God, why aren't you letting me do this? I thought this is what I was supposed to do. Paul found himself in this exact same place, not understanding what God was doing or God's way. And if you notice, the Bible never tells us that God gave Paul an explanation. He just blocked him. He tries to go there. We don't know exactly how he blocked him, but I have some ideas and I'll talk about that in a moment. But he goes, nope, don't go there. Okay, well, God, I'm going to go here. Nope, don't do that. Didn't you send me on this mission? Many of us have found ourselves in the same place. God, I thought I, was, I thought I was doing the right thing when I did this. God, you told me go to this school. God, you told me to take this job. God, you told me to marry them. <laughs> you didn't tell me to have these kids. I wanted that, so that was on me. But we find ourselves in these circumstances, these situations where we're, we're wondering, God, what is going on? You told me to open this business. You told me to take this step. Why, God, is this happening? And God does not often give us an explanation why. Our responsibility is to trust him. The title of this message today is my way, meaning mine, or the high way, meaning his. My way or the highway. We get frustrated when we, try to, when we try to make God do things our way or we try to be the Lord of our own lives. Even when we're doing good, noble things, we get frustrated, we get confused, and we get hurt. When we don't, when we expect God to do things our way, God does not do things our way. We are blessed when we line up to doing them his but he does not do things our way. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It's like when your kids come and they ask you a question for something that you know, it, I don't even need to explain myself to you, you're nine. 
Like my, my kids have a habit of asking, like, well, we, we do, we try our best to protect our kids from certain things, but there's also things that just side note as a parent, there's sometimes that you don't need to protect your kids from something, you need to experience it with them so you can help them navigate through how to do it, right? So there are moments like that, but by and large, there, as a parent, there are times we just need to draw boundaries. And my oldest daughter in particular is constantly going, why? Why, why can't I watch that? I'm like, number one, because I said so. (laughs) Number two, because I said so. (laughs) Right? They don't have the understanding and the comprehension. It's the same with us and God. God sees things from this perspective. We see it from this one. We would do well to trust him, but it's not always easy. We often see what God is We often don't see, excuse me, what God is doing in the moment, but our responsibility is to trust him. And we trust in what? We trust in his word. Romans chapter eight, verse 28 says this, and we know that God causes what? Everything to work together for who? For the good of who? Those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. That means if you're following him, He will make all things work, even the things that make no sense, even the things that you don't understand, the stuff that God, I would have never done it that way. He causes those things to work out for your good if you love him and if you're called according to his purpose, if you're following his plan for your life. See, this we're on we're all on a journey. And that journey is full of twists and turns. I was praying this morning before I came here and I was just thanking God for the journey that I've been on. And I thought about so many decisions that God gave me the insight to make whenever everybody else was telling me don't do it. And I also thought about those moments whenever I wanted to do something and God spoke through other people and said don't do it. Or those moments where his spirit led me. Or those moments where circumstances led me. What am I trying to tell you? God has a myriad of different ways of guiding you. And he does not always speak the same way. But our responsibility is to follow him and to trust him on the journey. Verse 8. So instead they went on to Mysia, to the seaport of Troas. Things start to get a little clearer. But I want you to see something about Paul and Silas. They didn't know exactly what God wanted to do. But instead of them pausing and being stuck in the mud, they went back to the thing he told them to do last. And they kept moving. See, for some of us, we get to the place where we don't know exactly what we're supposed to do. We get frozen. And we don't make any decisions And and we're we're stuck in this place of, I don't know what to do, this this place of fear and anxiety. I don't know what to do. I don't want to do. God didn't tell me what to do. Well, maybe you're just supposed to do the last thing he told you to do. Maybe you're just supposed to do the thing that you know you're called to do. God will not always give you an audible voice telling you, do this, my child. Sometimes he's going, I didn't change my mind. I told you to do this. Keep doing it. When I want you to change it, I'll tell you. God directs us in many, many different ways. But what we don't need to do is get frozen in fear that we're going to make a bad decision. I'll put it to you like this. It's much easier to steer a moving ship than it is a parked one. If you keep moving, God can direct you and God can steer you. But when we stop, now all of a sudden he has to give you the motivation to get up to move and to do something. And then he's got to direct you. Some of you are so stuck in fear. You're waiting. God, do you want me? The Bible doesn't tell you what college to go to. Just pick one. Right? The Bible does not always tell you, take this job, not this job. Well, the Bible never tells you that. God's spirit can, but sometimes you just need to acknowledge him. Sometimes, this is what the Bible says, acknowledge him in all of your ways and he'll direct your path. So that means there are going to be times, I got to get up for this one. There are going to be times whenever you're like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to acknowledge you. What do you want me to do? And then you make a decision. 
And if he doesn't want you to make that decision, he'll direct you. He'll redirect you. He's gracious. God is not up there going, gotcha. No, he loves you and he works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, just for disclaimers, because I know church people, I'm not advocating for making a decision that you know is a bad one that is against your conscience and against the word of God. I'm certainly not having, well, God didn't tell me not to. Yeah, but the Bible already told you. I'm going to date this person while I'm still married. I'm pretty sure the Bible already told you not to do that. I'm pretty sure that's already in there. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live with my boyfriend and we're going to move in together. Pretty sure he told you not to do that. You don't need an angel with wings telling you not to do that. It's in the word. It's in the word. So I'm not advocating for that. I'm talking about acknowledging him and moving forward and trusting that he'll guide you. He'll direct you. God has guided my steps all throughout the course of my life. I thought about how I even got here. It was such an unconventional way of thinking that I even got to this point. There were so many people who told me, don't go, don't do this, don't do that. And it was totally God's plan and God's will for my life. And I'm glad that I listened to it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here with you pastoring this church. Only God. Talking about acknowledging. In verse 9, that night Paul had a vision A man from Macedonia in north Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia to help us. This is what's called by many pastors and preachers and theologians, this is what's known as the Macedonian call. Paul tried going to these different places and God said, no. I'm doing your will. The answer is still no. And then he starts moving in a direction and he has a vision. And in that vision, he sees this man saying, we need your help, Paul. We need your help. And then Paul goes, I think this is probably God. (laughs) And he goes in that direction. And I'm glad he did. And you should be too. We're going to tell you why in a moment. Verse 10. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. They now have direction, listen to this, after God closed doors. They got God's direction after God closed doors. Some of us don't want to go through the heartache of God closing doors. We just want to know exactly what God's plan is for our life step by step by step so we don't have to go through any problems and any troubles. That's not how God operates. Because it's in the troubles, in the tests, in the trials that he's making you, forming his character in you and revealing to you just how messed up you are without him. God reveals his plan after he closes the door. Sometimes you have to move and look for God's direction. Now, this is also verse 10. You'll notice something. The very beginning of this is interesting. It says this. So we decided to leave for Macedonia. This is the very first place in the book of Acts that the author, whose name is Luke, who wrote the the gospel of Luke, includes the language we. Because this is the place where he joined the journey with Paul. See, up until this point, he was writing historical accounts from the, the mouths of other people. This is where he himself gets on the boat, gets on the mission with Paul. Now, if you remember, Luke's job was what? A doctor. He was a physician. Physician, And some scholars believe that when God was blocking Paul, that he wasn't just blocking him through his voice, that he was blocking him through circumstances, i.e. his health. There were places in the Bible that tell us that Paul had a sickness. When Paul was writing the book of Galatians, he told the Galatians, he said, if you would have, I stayed with you longer because of my illness. And if you you loved me so much, you would have gouged out your eyes and gave them to me. And maybe, just maybe, God blocked him through his illness. What am I saying? Again, God has a myriad of different ways of directing us. 
And God joined a doctor alongside Paul that stayed with him to the very end. I just thought that was an interesting side note. Verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. For there we reached Philippi, a major city in in that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. Now, Paul and Silas go to this riverbank on the Sabbath day. Why did they do that? Well, in Jewish law, they, if you had 10 men in a city, it was, you had to start what we know as a synagogue, right? What we've been talking about throughout this, this whole series, the synagogues, these little branch offs of the main temple in Jerusalem. So it was in their Jewish law that they had to start, basically, they had to start a church if there were 10 men. Now, they're in this major city called Philippi, which Philippi, what some people have called it, the Rome away from Rome. It was like being in Rome, but in a different province, in a different area, right? So not not like the, the, the Roman government owned everything, but this was like the city of Rome. So it was that big and that diverse, but they may not have even had 10 Jewish men there. So they didn't start a synagogue. So what it would tell you to do is to go to a place where there was living water, i.e. this riverbank. And so Paul and Silas went to this riverbank expecting to see people there for prayer because there probably wasn't enough Jewish men to start a church. So while they get there, this is what happens. Verse 14, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth, who worshiped God, as she listened to us, excuse me, as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. In other words, this was a strong-willed woman and she wasn't giving up. She was likely a very successful businesswoman as well. Now, Paul and Silas, they're on this mission. And it's starting off very successful. And they end up reaching this, this probably very prosperous, blessed businesswoman. And what, what did she do? The Bible says she sold purple cloth. Now, she's from Thyatira, and Thyatira was known for producing this product that would make purple cloth. And it was so rare, so expensive, that really only rich people were able to buy purple cloth back then. And you can look back in history, even Homer, the guy who wrote Homer's Iliad, or even he mentions the purple, expensive purple cloth from Thyatira. And so this was well known and she was one of the salesmen. And this strong-willed woman's like, Paul, listen, if you really believe that I believe, then you'll come to our house. Now here's Paul, this very stubborn man, and he says, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So they go. And I want you to see something. This is why this is so important that Paul followed the voice of God. This woman is the first recorded Christian in Europe. This, him preaching to this woman, she is the first convert to Christianity in all of Europe. Why is that important? This is where Paul preached. This is where Paul, where God directed him. God blocked him so that he can go and preach in Europe. And while he was preaching in Europe, some of you know this, some of you don't. Europe has become, or was at least, basically a stronghold for Christianity for the last 2,000 years. A place where most of the gospel has been sent to the world because the gospel went to Europe. Aren't you glad that God closed those doors. What's ironic though is in in the vision that Paul had, Paul saw a man. Yet when Paul goes to preach the gospel, there's nothing but women. Again, God doesn't do things our way. Because if I was Paul and I saw the vision of this man and I show up at the place that I'm supposed to be preaching the gospel, and I only see women, I'm thinking, well, I miss God. 
I must not have heard right. No, he did. He heard right. But God does not use conventional wisdom. God does things his way, not our way. Verse 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. As is often the case, when God is moving, resistance is not far behind it. When God starts doing something significant in your life, you better be, you better be very mindful that you're going to have to fight a spiritual battle as well. Why? Because we are in a spiritual battle. Christianity is not just an intellectual battle, though it is that. It is also a spiritual battle. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We are in a spiritual battle, and we cannot just stick our heads in the sand and act like that doesn't happen, and that's not real. It's very real. You are in a spiritual battle whether you want to be or not. When you don't acknowledge that, it's like getting into the ring with Mike Tyson saying, I don't want to fight. It's a little late for that. Now, I want you to notice something. The Bible says this girl could tell the future. She had a legitimate ability to tell the future. She was not a prophetess. She was not, according to what the Bible shows us, a Christian. But yet she had this ability, even though her gift did not come from God. I want you to think about that for a moment. There are people in this world who legitimately possess supernatural powers that are not God-honoring gifts. Just because someone can tell you something for the future doesn't mean that that came from God. Pastor, how can you say that? Because it's right in front of you in the Bible. That's how. Now, I want you to be mindful of this church We can't stick our heads in the sand again and act like there's not a supernatural world. We live in a very supernatural world, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. And you have to acknowledge it. That's why we pray. We trust God. The Bible says he gives his angels charge over those who fear him. There are spiritual battles happening for some of you that you have no idea. Well, all of us that you have no idea about. Some of you are so careless. When when you do get to heaven, your angel's going to be up there going, I made it. <laughs> it's true. But equally, equally, don't get so fascinated by the supernatural realm that you start reading weird books by weird people and acting strange. There is a supernatural world. And it's a part of our world, but you are in the middle of it. Don't lean off to the side where I'm only in the supernatural world. And as my, as my friend Tim Sinsley always says, you're so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. <laughs> and so we're not supposed to do that. Don't start reading books that are, by people who are quote unquote experts who tell you things that the Bible doesn't tell you. Okay, that's when it gets weird. And if you have a friend like that as your pastor, you have now been given the authority to call them out and tell them they're weird. You're welcome. She earned a lot of money for her master. Why? I think this falls in line with the theme of what the story is telling us, what this chapter is telling us. Because people are obsessed with knowing the future, but they want it outside of God's way. People are obsessed with trying to figure. That's why some of you watch the news because you're trying to figure out what's going to happen and you think that CNN or Fox News knows exactly what's going to happen. They don't. They don't. Well, I was listening to so-and-so and so-and-so and and they said that there's going to be da-da-da-da-da. Listen, they were wrong about 2020 and they'll be wrong about 2022. That's why some of you, if I'm being honest, can I just pass you for a moment, have gone to people who are psychics. You've, you've opened yourself up going to people who dabble in these dark things. 
That is not God's plan. They may have a gift, but that gift can lead you to hell. If you acknowledge him, you ask him, God will show you. God will give you direction, but he'll do it his way, not your way, not our way. Let me put it like this. Any, any, any desire to seek out knowing God's knowledge apart from God's way is witchcraft. Any desire, any attempt to seek out God's knowledge, God's, apart from God's way, is witchcraft. Well, I have a cousin who's a traitor. I have a person who's this. They're a, they're a witchcraft person, and they do this. Listen to me. If it's apart from Jesus, run from it. Run from it. And I know I rub some of y'all the wrong way, but that's my job as your pastor, to protect you and shepherd you. God still uses prophetic voices, but they are under his lordship. And they speak on his behalf, not their own, not for their own glory, for his glory. And there are people that can predict things again, but they'll lead you down the wrong path. Just because they're accurate does not mean they're right. Verse 7, verse 17, excuse me. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. That's accurate. But it became a problem. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Wait a minute. Wasn't she saying Jesus is the way? Yep. And she was demon-possessed. And she followed him, shouting this. Pastor, I don't understand that. The same thing happened with Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 33, Jesus is preaching in the temple, and a man stands up in the temple and starts shouting out through, the demons are speaking through him, and starts saying, you're the son of God, and you're here to torment us. And Jesus silences it and commands it to leave. Why? I don't know all the reasons why. But I can tell you what, I guarantee this, Paul did not want the devil doing his job. Because the enemy's job, the enemy knows who Jesus is. Doesn't mean that he's saved. There are people who know who Jesus is, but it doesn't mean that they're born again and they're saved. Knowledge is not salvation. Submission to his lordship and who he is saves us. Even the evil spirits know who he is. Paul cast this demon out and the girl is set free. Verse 19, more problems for Paul. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. If I'm Paul, I'm thinking, you gotta be kidding me. I'm out here, first of all, you block me. I'm going to these places, Lord. Then you bring me here with a vision of this man, and there's only women out here, so I preach to them, and then they get saved, and that's fantastic, but it's not what you showed me. And now I'm because this woman is behind me yelling out demonic stuff, so I finally get mad at her, cast the devil out of her, and now I'm going to jail? What did I do wrong? But that's not his response at all, because he recognized God is sovereign. And God doesn't always do things the way that we think he's going to. He does things his way, the highway, not my way. Verse 20, this is what these men said. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Once again, I want you to see this. The gospel brings about drastic change wherever it goes. When the light comes, it exposes darkness. When the light of the gospel comes, it exposes darkness in our hearts. It exposes darkness in our governments. It exposes dark. It, is, it exposes the people who are manipulating other people by superstition. 
Because the gospel comes with truth, and all of a sudden you see it clearly, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought that was the case. No, I'm going with this. The job of the gospel is to shine the light so you can see all of this. Oh, that's darkness. And I've heard it put like this. When the light comes on, the roaches scatter. If you grew up in the hood like me, then you definitely get that <laughs> reference. Verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. Not only were they thrown in prison, they were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clapped their feet in the stocks. When it says the inner dun dungeon, that's, that's similar to what we would understand as solitary confinement. Where there were three different levels of prisons back then. The same prison would have the outer layer and then the inner layer for a little more serious crimes. And then there would be the inner dungeon. That's where they put Paul and Silas. And they chained them up. Again, seemingly, God, where are you? We don't face half of this. But oftentimes we find ourselves asking the same question, God, where are you? I'm doing what you asked me to do. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Beaten and thrown in jail for obeying God. Again, how many of you can go back to those moments in your life where you, you, you think, God, you told me to do this. Why is this happening? You told me to join this church. Why, why am I hurt and offended by the people in it? God, you told me to step out and be a leader and to lead people. Why am I wounded by the people that I'm leading? God, why is this happening? God has a plan. And it's all the time, it's bigger than your plan. Let's keep going. Actually, let me point this out. This is part of the journey. Each and every one of us that's following Jesus, we're on the journey. It's not always fair. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's downright hard. Sometimes you lose people you love and you care for to death or to disagreements and conflicts. Sometimes you get wounded along the process. Sometimes you lose financial resources and you don't understand why. It's all part of the journey, but hear me, hear me, hear me. Romans 8, 28. He works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Your only job is to trust him and follow. Because the journey always ends up at the same place. The journey that you're on, if you are willing to follow him, will end up in heaven standing before him. And he may drive a little crazy sometimes, but he's going to get you there. And I don't think the Apostle Paul regretted a single thing that he went through when he stood before Jesus and saw his face and he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. He didn't regret one time he was in prison. He didn't regret one time having exposed the things in his life that he needed to get uncomfortable and exposed to other people. He didn't regret a single time someone who didn't need to be in his life walked out of his life. He didn't regret it at all. Why? Because he trusted him and he got there. But I also believe, yes, in eternity we'll see the reasons. But sometimes, sometimes God will reveal to you the why here in the land of the living. I will see the goodness of the Lord here in the land of the living. Let's keep going. I love their response. This shows you the, Paul's frame of mind. Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. So God, I show up here. I'm beaten the people I think are going to be here aren't here. The, everything seems to be going wrong. And now I'm stuck in a dungeon. And my response is going to be, great is your faithfulness to me. That's why I'm not the worship leader. <laughs> That's his response. They're in 
risen, worshiping. Why? Because they trusted his way. And they knew he was with them. They knew he was for them. Even in the middle of this. I love God. I love the way he operates. He's still good even when we don't understand it. And some of you need to hear that because you're facing all kinds of things right now. And it's challenging and it's hard and you're fearful and there's people coming in and out of your life and, and, and people cheating and all, all of these different things. He's good even when you don't understand it. When I, oftentimes as a pastor, when I'm, I get the, the privilege of being with people as they lose loved ones and walking with them through the most difficult seasons of their life. And I'll be very honest, and I've said this before, there's times when I show up at a home with someone that's lost a child or lost a parent or lost a spouse. And there is no, there, there's no words that's going to bring them peace and comfort. But when I show up, it's often two things. One, knowing that you're not alone and you don't have to face this alone. And that God has put you in a spiritual family for a reason to walk with you and carry you through this. But then secondly, even in this, he's still good. And his love is perfect for you. His perfect love casts out all fear. Verse 26, this is where things get even more complicated and I won't be too much longer. That may not be true, but okay, verse 26. (laughs) Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Are you kidding me? What? God, thank you. That's what many of us would have said. That's an open door. God, thank you. Thank God you made a way. Many of us would have said that. But Paul didn't. And I believe Paul didn't. And I'm reading into this, so I want to make sure I, this is my opinion as I say. This is not the text. This is not the word. This is my opinion. I believe the reason why Paul did not leave because he didn't. The doors flew open. The chains fell off every prisoner. And Paul stayed there. Why? I believe he didn't because he knew that if he would have left that way, he would have been a constant prisoner or a fugitive, and he would not have been able to come back there and preach the gospel to those people the way that he wanted to openly and freely. So he stayed there. Church, there are times whenever there's an open door that seems to be God that isn't. There are times when something kicks open and it looks pretty or she looks pretty. And it's not God's will for your life. And you have to be willing to discern and to get accountability and to bring these things and to discern, God, this is, is this sure? Is this not? Because it looks really good. Let me just tell you, good is not God. Just because the circumstance looks good does not mean that it's God's will for your life. And Paul recognizes that. Another thing about Paul that you're going to see in the next few chapters is that Paul is a very stubborn man. So wives, if you feel that way about your husband, he's in good company. Verse 27, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, which means this thing either woke him up because he's asleep, right? Or he woke up later on and experienced this. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Why? Because under the Roman law, if, this, if this, these prisoners were on your watch and they were your responsibility, if they escaped, then they were going to kill him. Because it happened on his watch. They were his responsibility. But we don't even view responsibility that way, do we? We don't think about responsibility. For us, it's like, oh, well, it was out of my control. I guess I couldn't do anything about it. No, he would have lost his life for an earthquake that he had no control over. So anyway, he's assuming that they're all gone because why would they not be? 
Verse 26, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Thank God that Paul didn't leave because if he did, that man would be in hell today. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Such an amazing sight. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You talk about flipping the script. One minute they're in, they're in chains in an inner dungeon singing, singing Chris Tomlin songs. The next minute, the head of the jail is on his knees before them, asking them, what can we do to be saved? God has a way of turning things around. God has a way of making even your enemies love and serve you. God has a way of taking the worst of circumstances and working them out, Romans 8.28, for your good. For your good. Why, why would this man do this? I believe because he was watching their testimony. He saw them brought into prison. And he watched them worship. He watched them sing in the middle of the prison. There were nobody else. There were no other people in this prison singing. But they were. He watched them honorably stay whenever they could have dishonorably leave. Let me just tell you, people are watching your journey. People are watching your storm. What are they seeing? Because for some of us, we say, I'm a Christian and we make it known. I'm a Christian. I go to OSC. I have the bumper sticker. I wear the shirts. And then they watch you complain about everything that goes on in your life. They watch you be miserable about every single trial that you go through. Some of them going through worse in the process while they're watching you complain about what you're going through. That's not a good testimony. There's a reason why they're not lining up to come and follow you. Because they're probably saying, if that's Christianity, I don't want that. Pastor, I'm just being real. No, you're just being real negative. We have the joy of the Lord, and we don't often act like it because we get so self-absorbed. All we see is our problems instead of seeing God's plan. God's plan. Some of you need to repent for being negative Nancy or negative Nathan. <laughs> People are watching our journey. I'm not advocating for being fake. I'm advocating, advocating for f- making the choice to choose God's joy. Verse 31, one minute they're criticizing Paul, arresting him. The next minute they're asking that question, what should I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Let me stop right there. That's not a blanket promise. I know that some people who've taught that, but the people in your household have to choose to follow Jesus the same way you did. Okay, this is not a blanket promise. If anything, this was, and I'm going to get into this a little bit more in a second. This was probably a prophetic word to this man. Because Paul knew what God wanted to do in that man's life. I'm going to tell you why I believe that is in a moment. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all those who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they, are all, believe, because they all believed in God. One minute he's got him in chains. Next minute he's washing his wounds and giving him church's fried chicken. Only God can give us favor in the eyes of our enemies. But you have to do it his way, the highway, not your way. Sometimes you're ready to storm in and tell people a piece of your mind. Well, what you need to do is be quiet and serve them. And 
and love them and let God turn that whole thing around. I've seen him do it in my own life. And I could get into stories, but for the sake of time, because I told you I wasn't going to be there much longer, I won't. Verse 35. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. Paul got the same result. He could have dishonorably left when the doors were open, but God was going to open the door for him the very next day anyway. But this time a man got born again because he did it God's way and not his way. He got the same result. But Paul, like I mentioned, is a stubborn man. And there was a problem that Paul understood that they didn't understand. Verse 37. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us. This is Paul. He's about to let them have it now. Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to just leave secretly? I don't think so. Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. See, Paul knew that as a Roman citizen, without a trial, he, couldn't have, he shouldn't have been arrested and he definitely should not have been beaten. That was a widely known fact. You don't beat a Roman citizen. Paul was a Roman citizen and some of those men probably weren't even Roman citizens. So there was a certain air of, of privilege that he was given because he was that. And Paul said, no, I'm not leaving. Stubborn man. I'm not going until those leaders come here and they own up to what they did. Verse 38, when the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. (laughs) When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers, believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. It wasn't okay that Paul was mistreated. But I believe Paul had the opportunity early on. Why didn't he say he was a Roman citizen when he was being beaten? Why didn't he say he was a Roman citizen when they were putting him in jail? Why didn't say he was a Roman citizen when he was in chains and singing? He was a Roman citizen that whole time. Because Paul knew, I believe Paul knew there was a mission for him in that prison. For the rest of Paul's life, there was going to be a mission for him in prisons. Most of the books that we read in the New Testament were written by Paul while he was in prison. And would look bad to us was actually God's plan in Paul's eyes. He knew he was supposed to be there. And I don't know about you, I don't like suffering, but I'm okay with suffering when I know there's a purpose. When I know there's a plan. That's why y'all were in the gym this past week trying to work off turkey. You were suffering because you knew I got to get rid of these five pounds I gained. And could it be And this is what you call conjecture. Okay, this is my opinion. Could it be that the man that Paul saw in the Macedonian call was actually that jailer? Could that be the reason why he stayed? Could that be the reason why he didn't leave? Because he knew that man is the man that God sent me to preach the gospel to. So I'm willing to go through whatever I have to go through. Because again, remember, he led Lydia to Jesus, but that wasn't the man in the vision. Could it be that this man was the man? Purpose behind your pain. God does not do things our way. And as I close, I'll close with this. The, the believers met in the house of Lydia. Lydia went from being one woman 
at a riverbank hearing the gospel to opening up her home to become a church. And that church became the church of Philippi, which is the church that Paul wrote the book of Philippians to. It's purpose, but you gotta do it God's way. You gotta do it his way. Don't let your hurt cause you to lose heart. Follow God and trust him. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord. God, give us perspective in the, your perspective in the pain that we face. Give us your perspective in the things that we're dealing with, the challenges we're up against, the things that don't seem to make sense. The child we prayed for that causes us grief. The marriage that's falling apart when we thought it was your plan. The business that's losing money when we were assured that this was your will for our lives. God, give us your plan. Your, your ways are higher than our ways. And for some of you this morning, right now, you just need to reaffirm to God in your own words. I don't understand, but I trust you. Come on, right now, right underneath your breath, right where you're at. Make that fresh commitment to him tonight, this morning. I don't understand, but I trust you. I don't see what you're doing, but I know you're doing something. And I'm along for the journey. I'm along for the ride. I trust you. Come on, the Spirit of God right now is speaking to people's hearts. And you're this fresh commitments being made to him right now. Don't miss this moment, church. I sense this by the Spirit of God. Some of you need to make that fresh declaration again. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I don't get it, but I trust you. I don't know why, but I trust you. Thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, I pray for the grace of God to follow through in that commitment that they made to trust you. We don't see the end, but we know you're already there and you love us. Give us the grace as we go through the journey. In Jesus' name, with every eye closed, every head bowed while you're here, you say, Pastor, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not saved. You mentioned this jailer being saved. You're talking to me like I'm right with God, and truthfully, I know that I'm not. I've got good news for you. It's the same good news that Paul had. When that jailer asked the question, what must I do to be saved? This is what he said. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Some of you have known him as Savior, but you need to know him as Lord. Because if he is Lord, then he is certainly Savior. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Gabe, I'm far away from God. I'm not born again. I'm not saved. But I want to be. I want my sins forgiven. And I want to be right with him and I choose to follow him. His spirit has drawn me to this point and now I'm making the declaration that I belong to him. If you're here with no one looking around, I want to ask you to make that declaration today. And I'm going to ask you on the count of three, if you say that's me, to lift up your hand. What are you doing? You're being with the Bible calls born again. And it's a simple process, as easy as A, B, C, A. You're admitting that you're a sinner, that there's sin in your life, that you're far away from him. B, you believe. You're believing that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. It's not a far-fetched story. It is what really happened, and he did it for me. And C, you're confessing that he is now the Lord of your life, meaning I'm going to follow him. He's the boss. He calls the shots, and I'm going to do it his way. Count of three, when no one looking around, I want you to lift up your hand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's just simply a prayer of surrender. One, two, three. If that's you, don't be embarrassed. Lift it up and lift it up high. If you say, Pastor, today I want to be born again. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be right with him. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Praise God. Praise God. You can put him down. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. You can put him down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say these words with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. 
I believe on the cross. You faced hell so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody to pray that prayer today. To be born again.